Welcome to episode 89, Gunpunters Podcast, Chase Thornton, Jeremy Law, Lester Mitchell. Coming at you after Alabama's just embarrassment, I guess you could say. Not even a loss, not a tough loss. An embarrassment on your home turf to the Texas Longhorns, 34-24 to in Bryant-Denny Stadium last Saturday night. Alabama with their first – Is it? I mean, is this is this right, J-Law? Lester told me earlier, um, first non – Non-conference regular season law since Louisiana Monroe back in 2007, which yep. is just correct. To think about once you start putting that in perspective, you know, all those years and, you know, Alabama, all the big games that they played in the, uh, in the home and homes and, um, and the neutral site games as well, you know, winning every single one up until now, Alabama one and one for the first time in a long time, you know, you're not used to, you're not used to seeing a one and one beside Alabama's name. And um it you know, we're gonna talk about everything that went wrong in this game. Uh it certainly wasn't one thing. Some some things were were worse than others, but it was a a collective effort on both both the offensive and defensive side of the ball to uh for, for Alabama to end up getting embarrassed the way they did. Um, but you know, I guess going back, guys, I asked y'all last week before we moved on or right at the end of the podcast I said did Alabama do enough against Middle Tennessee State to give you confidence heading into the Texas game because before Middle Tennessee State we all picked MTSU to cover um, we said you know we're going to be rotating quarterbacks we might look average on offense and then bam we exploded and you know obviously it was all smoke we were all fooled you know we all we all thought that that game gave us confidence. I know you got. I mean, I still, I still picked Texas to cover, but I still thought they'd win the football game. Um, you know, I, I said in my preseason predictions that that Alabama would lose the second game to Texas, uh, and then you know make a change of quarterback and went out. Of course, that can still happen. Do I think it's going to? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, because I don't think a change has to be made at quarterback. I think your offensive line has to shuffle. I think your play calling has to improve. Um, but I asked if this game gave you Texas or gave you – if the Middle Tennessee State game gave you confidence going in against Texas. Just going back to that statement, J-Law, what do you think it was that got us so gassed up? Because even you said – you said, you know, we ha- you, ke- you kept saying, actually, you know, we had to take it with a grain of salt. You had to remember the opponent. You had to remember the opponent. But – if you listen back to the podcast, we all three really didn't believe that. We kept saying it, but then we say, oh, we're going to be Texas by 10-plus. Well, so that tells us right there that maybe we didn't believe even what we were saying last week. Yeah, I'm not going to be that I told you to guy by any means on this. Um, but I kind of – what I did – like, okay, quarterback situation. Let's separate that from everything else right now. Quarterback situation, I am the I told you so guy. Because now I have two full games of Jalen Milrow. I was like, hey, look, you know, some of our DBs could play bad versus Middle Tennessee. You know, that that is what it is. But overall for the team, I thought Alabama would go in and win that game, and I thought that they would at least cover, which um, looking back now, they never had a chance to cover. Um, Texas dropped two touchdowns. Um, I mean, kicked field goals in those scenarios, give them eight more points. Um I mean, they they probably could have tacked another one on at the end too if Sark really wanted to because this team is no doubt a bunch of quitters. They if Sark wanted to score there at the end, he would have gone and scored at the end. But the quarterback situation to me was a little different because 
you that you're just not playing a team that has any ability to cover any of your receivers. They don't have any athletes to match Jalen Milrow, what he did with his legs. And that defense really didn't even have a chance to put a lot of pressure on the quarterback, although we all agreed after that game that there was a little too much pressure on Jalen Milrow when they did not run the ball. Alabama did not run the ball well enough in that game. But what did Alabama do against Middle Tennessee? They did what I thought that they would do with all quarterbacks. Like I said, I thought Buckner could go in if the defense was going to play as well as it did, which was what I was more worried about in the Middle Tennessee game. If the defense was going to play that well, I thought Buckner, Simpson, and Milrow could play well enough to get Alabama 45, 50 points, which is what happened with Jalen Milrow playing the majority of that ball game. So, no, I really didn't see enough in that Middle Tennessee game to think that Jalen Milrow would be the reason solely that we would beat Texas. But I tell you what did get us all gassed up is, is what got me mostly gassed up is there were no designed runs in the Middle Tennessee game. So we thought we were holding on to those for a big game like Texas where they won't be able to game plan those, where they, they really just would not know what Alabama would do with any motions, quarterback runs. We thought that's what I think got us all excited, except we didn't do anything different from Middle Tennessee to Texas, which makes absolutely no sense. You watch Sark slice and dice. Wide three wide receivers, tight end, and running back on the same side of the formation. Put two, three guys in motion on the exact same play. Get you in an alignment that you wanted and dice you up. Tommy Reese thought called a, a good game. He called a good enough game for Alabama to win if Jalen Milrow was not terrible at being a quarterback. I thought that was the case. But I did not think that, that Tommy Reese called a good enough game if Jalen Milrow is the quarterback. Does that make any sense? I don't think he called a good enough game if Jalen Milrow is the guy. I think you just have to have a different game plan, which is not really what Saban or Reese wants to do. But I do think those are the reasons that we got gassed up because we did not see Jalen Milrow's legs in with any design plays. We thought we would have those versus Texas. We didn't get those. And it's really baffling to me why Jalen Milrow is the quarterback if you're not going to take advantage of those, because I, you, you, we all know that, or at least we all feel confident in more of a consistent short to intermediate passing game from Buckner or Simpson. I think that's pretty obvious. Jalen Milrow is the worst quarterback in the SEC when it comes to intermediate passing game and the 11th best quarterback overall through two weeks in the league. Um, and that is with being able to play a very poor, poor, poor Mississippi, uh, Middle Tennessee state team to rack up some numbers if Alabama plays a defense with a pulse in week one Jalen Miller was probably 14 out of 14 so those are some of my frustrations I'm sure we'll break that down even more but I think that's why we were excited and also think that's why we were very let down not just because of the score but because of the game plan with Miller as the quarterback just doesn't make any sense yeah and you know I had no problem with being the I told you so guy you know I mean hell Everybody else does it. I mean, Paul, Paul Feinbaum's calling for the end of the dynasty every single year, so eventually he's going to be the I told you so guy. So this is what the national media does. I'm sure I don't have a problem with Gump Runners podcast doing it as well because I'm like you, J-Law. Um, I, I called all of this offensively. Um, the, I think my problem was the reason I got gassed up over Middle Tennessee State is, like I said, I, I, was, I was expected to see a very – I was expecting for the offense to look very average against Middle Tennessee State, and then we came out and we played lights out. And like you said, I thought that there was more in Tommy Reese's bag that he was going to save for Texas and not put on film because we sat here and told you last week, um, if you thought the way Texas played against Rice was the way they were going to come into Tuscaloosa and played 
you've never you, you have no idea you, you don't you don't know ball that's what they say you don't know ball so um you know the same thing with Alabama though I thought Reese left a lot out there that he could have done and I was excited to see the uh the game plan that he would have in his first big game um so you know I kind of got away from my guns a little bit once we had such a good offensive performance against Middle Tennessee State but uh, yeah, Jalen Milrow, just just not a quarterback. Great athlete, tremendous athlete, but he has the least arm talent, the least amount of arm talent on this roster. He's just the most athletic. And what we said is, if nobody could overthrow him in practice, you got to go with the most athletic guy. I also said Tommy Reese was not ready for the SEC, where everybody has you circled. Tommy Reese was not explained to him that look, buddy, when t- when you lose, other other coaches get raises. They know that. If Hugh Freeze, he's 2-0 right now, if he loses the next nine games and he's sitting there at 2-9 and nine, and he beats Alabama at home, that's a successful season over there on the Plains. And you can – I mean, I mean, call it what you want. I mean, look at Gus Malzahn. Look at beating Alabama did for him. Um, you know, Jimbo Fisher, Kevin Sumlin, all these guys that have upset, you know, Hugh Freeze originally when he was at, when he was at Ole Miss. So you beat Nick Saban, you get races. And you get national media, you get recruiting bumps. So we explained everybody's preparing for you for 365 days. You cannot prepare for Middle Tennessee for three months and then prepare for Texas for six days. Just doesn't work like that. And that's something that I thought Tommy Reese would really struggle with. And I'll be damned if it didn't happen in the second game. Uh, Like I said, I expected to lose the game, but I didn't expect to just get dominated on both lines of scrimmage. Um, quarterback play, just bad, bad, bad. Lester, start with that since we're kind of on Milrow's ass a little bit here to start the podcast. Give us your analysis of how of how you think Jalen Milrow played in this one. So, yeah, Milrow, he 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 is what he is. Like I said, he's an athlete with a you know gifted, has wonderful arm talent, but he he just can't get it done. But on top of him possibly can't getting can't get it done. I have a lot of criticisms of Reese. I think y'all are letting them slide a little bit here, but I don't think Reese did anything to get him settled into the game, to get him comfortable. Um I know that we ran the ball kind of good early on, but where where the where were the short passes? Where were the swing passes, the screens, uh the RPO I don't does even Reese even run RPO game? It's just there was nothing done to assist Milrow. We already know he's deficient as a quarterback. We we know that. But right now, that's the guy. And like I said, like I told y'all all season long, I would feel so much better about Milrow being our quarterback if I knew in my soul that Tommy Reese would run an offense designed around him to help him in every way possible, which is short, intermediate, RPOs, screens, getting crazy, doing, doing whatever you have to do to get him acclimated, east into the game. And from there, you let your running game, you let your offensive line, you win with old school football. And Miro is just the another tool, another accessory. Miro cannot be the focal point of this offense as a drop back passer, as a go through progressions passer and Alabama be successful that that can't happen. It can't. If 
man, bro, if Dan Mullen was our quarterback, was our um offensive coordinator, if Gus Malzahn, he did it with Nick Marshall. Bro, if Gus Malzahn's the OC, we're not even having this conversation right now because that's a guy who clearly knows how to work with a quarterback who ain't worth a piss, bro. Clearly. And we talk about all the tools that Miro has around him. The wide receivers are they're 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 decent this year. The offense line, everybody's massive and eight hundred pounds or whatever. Got a stable full of running backs. And here we are with Jalen Miro, and we got a we got an OC who refuses to let Miro just distribute, just dink and dunk, distribute, distribute, distribute. And you know what? When you loosen the defense up, you take your shots here and there. Miro will not kick a defense apart. He's not Tua. He is not Bryce Young. That is not what we should expect from this guy. But clearly Tommy Reese does. Like I told y'all earlier this week, I mean, Miro might be prime Vince Young, Michael Vick, Donovan McNabb. Hell, he may be prime Bryce at practice, but that shit I saw Saturday night, it ain't it. And I'm surprised, and I'm a little bit disappointed that thus far he's still the quarterback, guys. I really am. Hey, dude, I I agree. I think that Jalen Milrow at practice finds ways to execute, number one. And number two, he finds ways to not make mistakes so he won't lose his job. And then you throw him out there in a big environment. Guys, we have two full games of this. Six turnovers. And four touchdown passes in those games. That you cannot continue to do this with Jalen Murrow. He's earned he he had his shot. He did what you cannot do as a quarterback at Alabama when you're as limited as he is going through progressions. Yep. And it it it's time to give somebody else a try because listen, they're not gonna change the offense. If you learned anything Saturday, they're not changing the offense because changing the offense is not what Saban wants to do. He wants to go back. Grounded pound, more balance, shortened games because of the way the clock rules are operating now. Um, you feel like you can keep yourself in more games that way. That's the way that this offense is going. That's why he brought Tommy Reese in here. And I don't think that I, I think Saban knows now that Milrow cannot be the quarterback. He might go, we might beat USF 56 to 7. You put Jalen Milrow out there against Ole Miss, we will lose the game. But Jalen, doesn't that frustrate you, bro? He knows that now that Miro well, ain't the guy. Exactly bro, my question. Pay, How, why does he know that here? now? How does there's there's no? I mean, guys, you know, we, we had we had um, reports from these scrimmages. We had sources there, man. We had inside inside sources at these scrimmages saying that Milro was not Bryce Young in these scrimmages. He was very average, and everybody else is average too. But it, since this is saving what he wants to do. With the offense and ground and pound, did he really look himself in the mirror and be like, I can do this without a quarterback that can push the ball downfield and make good decisions? Did he really think that? I guess no, but so. I think I think the rest I think Jalen Milrow had the team. And honestly, I mean, if Saban had to roll Milrow out there and and let him truly see if he could do it. I mean, you got JC Latham tweeting after the game, still behind four. Dude, that's cool if y'all are friends. I get it. It's cool. I get it. Sure, but yeah. he's yeah. not the best. If he, if listen, if Jalen Milrow is the best option at quarterback, keep playing it. But I think you need to see somebody. This is my point. I think you need to see somebody else against live bullets because we know what Jalen Milrow is going to do in a big game. He's going to turn the ball over and he's going to lose you a game. 
And he almost lost us a game last year that we had no business losing. He already lost us one this year. And so somebody else needs to see live bullets. And then at the end of those real live bullets, we're talking about Ole Miss and, heck, maybe even Texas A&M. After that, we can figure out who needs to be the starting quarterback because clearly in our practices, which we know Jalen Milrow at every scrimmage was going up against the second-team Alabama defense since the first one can't stop Quinn Ewers or get pressure on the quarterback either. We need to see all three of these quarterbacks against somebody else's first-team defense that has SEC talent, just like Texas does and will have next year when they're in the SEC. That's what we need to see from these quarterbacks. You know, I, I, got, a, I got a theory here. With And you just said it, going up against the second-team defenses, you know, in practice, maybe Saban knew that he sucked and he was just trying to build his confidence all along. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, I'm, 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 no, I'm dead ass serious. I'm like, because if you're, if you're, it's kind of like basketball. When you see the ball, you shoot it, you see it go go through the hoop. That's building your confidence. If he's at practice and he's completing passes and he's doing yada yada, yada that's building that confidence. But buddy, confidence ain't got shit when the light comes on and it's Texas and it's a hundred thousand people. That confidence, it don't matter. And clearly, clearly, Milro wasn't confident in his, wasn't confident in himself the way he played Saturday. He was timid. He looked not scared, not afraid, but he just looked very unsure. And going back to fucking Tommy Reese, bro, this game has been on the calendar for how long? Yep. Why did our offense just not look in sync? You know, we talk all the time about scripted plays, Kiffin and sorry, they're going to script. I, ju- I literally just watched the first quarter 30 minutes ago. Nobody looked in sync confident in what they were doing against texas your script should have been the first hour dedicated at practice this is what we're going to run first quarter first drive against texas and from the the run bro they did and that's why milro threw it no no i promise you do that first drive milro saw a coverage that he thought was going to be open here's the script he made his one read like he did on 25 other throws throw that ball right at him he would throw that the ball 10 out of 10 the, times. Yeah. I, he was maybe, throwing that ball no matter what. That, and that just – that, but that dunk over the the the, the defender to – who was that, the running back down the left sideline or whatever, I'm just like, what, what what's going on? Like, it just – there's nothing that Texas did – that Texas did in that game that Alabama should not – that Miro should not have seen at some point during fall practice, summer – spring practice if it was that's a problem fellas what but, what are they doing that nick saban defensive guru that kevin Steele defensive guru couldn't draw up or do in practice but hey let's do something to get this guy off tilt one time but it's in practice it don't matter right now and then we can educate further from there that's that's what's just kind of i'm just like what's going on here what why why, why is this happening now you know I don't know. Maybe he's Blake Barnett. He can't do it when the lights come on. Maybe they, that may be it. I think that's pretty obvious, you know, and that's what we saw last year. And that was one of our concerns heading into this year. Um, but, you know, Lester, touching on that confidence factor that you said, I think he was about, at least heading into the game, I think he was about as confident as he could be. I mean, he bought out. He was player of the week against Middle Tennessee State. Yeah. He played as well as he could play. And I just, I think he's just physically not capable of doing it. And, dude, 
like well-spoken guy gets in front of the media after like admit owns up to his mistakes and like doesn't put the pressure on anybody or the blame on anybody else. And it's everything that you want him to say, right. After both, after middle Tennessee and Texas. And I love that he was, that he got up there and did that while the, cause the rest of the team is just making excuses. You know, at least he's owning up to his, but it's just the fact that he's not a quarterback. He doesn't know how to play the position because all his life, he's just been the fastest player on the field so he can just run around. So when you try to make him play from the pocket, which is on Reese, he just can't get it done. I mean, he has four interceptable passes in this game. There's no check and protections at the line. Look, offensive line sucked. They didn't play good at all. Caden Proctor had a terrible night. Um, but a lot of those pressures are because Jalen can't diagnose pre-snap and get the protection set you know that had a lot to do with them you know you know there was there was plenty of times where they got beaten one-on-ones but when you don't set the protect I mean how how many times last year like we we always talked about Bill O'Brien snapping the ball under five seconds a lot of that was Bryce getting his protection set too him and him working with Seth Milrow doesn't know how to do that I sent y'all the video of the the video from the behind the safety, the camera from behind the safety, in Milrow's head, it's just going right, right, right. Then it zooms in on his eyes. He's looking right. He looks right. And then he snaps the ball, and he looks and he looks straight to the right. Do you think that the defense isn't watching him? He doesn't know. He hasn't been coached on how to play the position. Bill O'Brien was an ass clown, and Tommy Reese is just trying to survive. He's just trying to stay above water right now. So – I mean, it's it's hard for me to just get all this on put all this on Milro and just get so mad at him when in reality I truly believe that he just is incapable of playing the position and I put more of that on the coaching staff. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I agree with that. I think that Milro it listen, I'm not good at math. So guess what? I didn't go to school to be a mathematician, an accountant, yeah. an engineer. Like, but my dad wanted me to go do that. And guess what? I made a D in one math class at, at Bama and I got the freak out of there. I had to go, I had to take a different course. Jalen, it's not Jalen Melrose's fault that he is not an SEC quarterback that is going to be at the standard of what Alabama has had, which is a game manager that doesn't turn the ball over, that doesn't lose you games all the way into all the way up to a playmaker, which Alabama has had since Tua. Mac and Bryce. He's none of those. He has shown us in two big games that number one, he is not a game manager. He will lose you a ball game. And number two, he's definitely like his playmaking ability is there. Like I told y'all before the podcast, there are going to be some plays this year. For example, the one where he hit Burton on a dime and said, dude, that's a hell of a throw. Like there's some Bama quarterbacks that have been here who haven't made that throw, but he's also going to do what he did about five times the other night. And remember, they're not just grading Milrow on the two picks he threw that essentially lost us the game, 10, 10 points on turnovers in the game. They're looking at the other seven or eight balls that he threw in double covers, triple covers that went off guys' hands that should have been tipped and intercepted and those things. Those are the things they're looking at with Milrow, and he made about another seven or eight of those. Uh, Saturday night. So, no, it's not Milrow's fault that he's not good enough to play quarterback at an elite level where Alabama wants to be. But there's a lot of people that will go out and bash the offensive line and say they're not as good as they need to be, and they'll go super hard. But when it comes to Milrow, you have a group of people 
who will not just admit that he is not that for Alabama. Yeah. I hate to see it. Yeah, to say, had, you know, in the first, said, you know, first, any other in the first quarter, yeah. you know, he has the pass go off his the off the Texas guy's hands in the end zone, and then on the one where the ball is actually tipped and caught by Burton in the end zone when Dalcourt was downfield, that ball should have been picked too. So easily could have had four interceptions in this game. And then you know, he also guys, I don't know if y'all remember Jalen Hurts playing quarterback at Alabama. If y'all listening out there, if you don't know what a phantom pressure is, a phantom pressure is whenever. You start trying to speed the game up, that body clock or that that clock in your head as a quarterback that you've got to have before you know that you need to get out of the pocket and somebody might be bearing down on you. It goes from about four to five seconds to about two and a half, and you start getting antsy back there. And that's another thing that Milrow did. Once again, not his fault. You know, he, I mean, he's if he's got his legs and he's having to use them almost every play, he created those phantom pressures. I saw that too. Lester, were you saying something? Oh, yeah. I mean, Alabama's biggest problem is that there's more than one problem. It's not Milrow, literally. I mean, we've said it several times about certain players at Bama. Hey, if this player was in this system, hell, they'd be all SEC or fucking Heisman or any of that. And you can say the same with Milrow. You know, like I said, with Gus or Mouse or uh, Mullen, anyone else who has experience dealing with these types of quarterbacks, He's he's probably elite, guys, and that's what sucks about it. But once again, Saban quit recruiting these kinds of ball players. Like it's the most baffling thing. I think maybe Saban takes as a personal challenge. I'm gonna try to win with this guy. Cause buddy, if Drake May is at Alabama right now instead of Miro. Yes, I it's, it's like I'm, I'm bored of uh Matt Jones and Bryce Young. I'm gonna try to win with the with, yeah. well, with putting Jalen Miro in the pocket. I mean uh, it's just it baffles me. If Kiffin is the OC, if Sark is the OC, someone who'll tell Saban to, you know, flick off or whatever, man, we're not even having this conversation right now. But it's it's Tommy Reese. So here yeah, we are. And, and that was a question that I posed to y'all early or at the end of in the preseason on the podcast was if Lane Kiffin is our offensive coordinator, are we having this many doubts about this offense? And you know, of course y'all both said no. And and that's correct. Uh Jalen, what are your thoughts on on Tommy Reese so far through or after his first big game? Because Lester's harping on it. I agree with a lot of what he's saying, man. Milrow, as incapable as he is, he was not put in a position to succeed. Um, I understand that he did miss a couple of wide-open throws, but the offense could have been a lot easier. The game plan could have been a lot easier for him. And, you know, our running backs only had 20 carries in the whole game. They had eight in the first quarter. You know, they got like – over five yards carry in the first quarter. The second quarter, the running backs carried the ball twice. In the second half, they only carried it nine times for 17 yards, which is 1.8 yards per carry. So, Milrow, on the other hand, in the first quarter, and we were running for over five yards carry, he was three out of eight with an interception. So, it's not hard to see that Texas analyzed the situation in the first quarter and realized that they can run some zone, run a lot of zone blitz, and stop the run, and they'll dominate the game. That's exactly what they did. And Tommy Reese did nothing, nothing about that. And and I put that on him. There's some things you can do to to move the ball down the field whenever your original game plan isn't working. Analyze his his game plan and 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 just how disappointed you are with him. Well, I thought we would be disappointed with Tommy Reese no matter what this year. So like, let's. I think we should just 
the same way I had low expectations for Milrow, I also had some low expectations for Tommy Reese going into this season. But I think that when you – I listened to a bunch of podcasts about Alabama football the last couple of days, obviously, and I think Clint Lamb from on three was on one and essentially was saying there are some things that you can do for Milrow, but a lot of those teams that have Nick Marshall or Bo Nix when he was at Auburn, they don't have any talent. So essentially if you're doing a design run for Milrow, you're taking the ball out of Jace McQuillan, Isaiah Bond, Kobe Prentice's hands, like guys that are there recruited to get the football to make plays, Malik Benson, Roydell Williams. You don't have so, to. You do don't I? have to, though. And that's that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like, I think your brother sent us – I don't know if you got if you had uh, time to watch it today. It was a long video, but I watched two or three minutes of it, and there's a play that Reese ran in Notre Dame where – it's essentially an RPO. You have a little a Y slider coming across the formation, and you you fake it to the running back, or you can give it. And then if you pull it, you can either run. He ran it with Ty Butner a lot. You can either run it, or you can flip it to a tight end, or you've got crossers coming across, and, and we're the receivers. So just yeah, I, that's a simple play, and it's something that we haven't seen yet. Well, I'm also thinking that you know Saban, as much as we don't that he had, I don't think that's what he wants to do. Although we heard that he liked Tommy Reese because he does a lot more RPO and he did not like the fact that that wasn't really in Bill O'Brien's wheelhouse was coaching RPO, calling RPO because in the NFL, you can't go as far downfield um, as, as linemen can in college. But no, I don't, I think that those things are, were, should have been done. Absolutely. But if you don't practice them all week and Chase, you know, this, you coach football for hopeful when you played high school ball and I'm around high school a lot. If you don't practice it always, just like what Jimbo talked about with um, Bobby Petrino, like Bobby Petrino said about calling plays. Yeah, I call the plays, but I'm calling the plays that we practiced all week that we schemed up that are supposed to work against this team. So if you don't, if you haven't been practicing RPO or a lot of zone reads from Milrow and it's not in your book for that game, you're not calling it. Yeah, you might have a trick play or something sitting around. Do I think those things should have happened? Absolutely. Did I, was I the most excited for Jalen Milrow design runs? Absolutely. Yeah. But if they if it wasn't in the book to be done to end this game, it wasn't going to be called. Offensive line wise, Lester. Hmm. Me and you both played in the trenches. We big boys. Man, this offensive line. Milrow was bad. Play calling was bad. Offensive line putrid. Uh, the grades came out. I mean, we had multiple guys under grading out at under fifty, which is just unacceptable. How do you have, how do you have tight ends <laughs> and a running back graded they, higher? Dude, we can't than pick up a blitz, of man. offensive line blown up on blitzes. And Bro. you know, I, here's another. I told you, but I told you, Dalcourt and Seth McLaughlin. Were too finesse to have a power run game if they were on the interior together, right? Um, do you agree with? And I'm, I'm going to kind of go hand in hand here with the penalties because I want to talk about the lack of discipline that Alabama got back to. Um, you know, the reason they lost two games last year is because they had 15 penalties at Texas and you know over 10 penalties in each in uh in the two games they lost at LSU and Tennessee as well. So I'm kind of going to go hand in hand here. Um, Lester, do you think maybe Brockermeyer, James Brockermeyer, or Jaden Roberts maybe needs a shot at center? Um, I think Elijah Pritchett needs to play tackle. 
I think Proctor's too fat. I, I think he's a good player, but I think right now he's too fat and slow to play tackle. You can't play tackle at 370 pounds. I'm sorry. It's great for the run game, but you're blocking some some finesse guys out there that could possibly be anywhere from 220 to 245 pounds, and yep. you're not going to be able to stay in front of them when you're when you're that fat. So maybe move Proctor to guard to guard, or you know. And put Terrence Ferguson over there at one of the guards, get Dalcourt out. Um, Seth can't get the ball off the ground. Why is he still playing? Um, here's here's my reasoning. The reason there's no discipline on this team, this is just what I see, is because there's no consequences for their actions. You're you're not getting yelled at, you're not getting punished after the game. Um, you know, when I was in high school, when I played. If you got a penalty, you had to run a mile the next practice. Now, a, a lot of people be like, oh, that's not that bad. But, you know, full pads, after you've already had a full pad practice, running a mile, it's, it's an inconvenience more than anything. Um, but, you know, you don't learn from your mistakes unless you're you're punished. I think that's common sense. Um, you know, if you if you have a dog and your dog pisses in the house, do you just let it go? No. You're going to rub their nose in it. You're going to pop them. You're going to tell them no, and you're going to put them outside. If your child, J-Law, if your little girl writes on the walls with a crayon, are you going to be? Are you going to go, oh, it's okay, baby? No, you're going to whip her ass, <laughs> and they're not going to do it again because they're going to learn that, hey, whenever I do this negative thing, I'm getting punished for it. The same goes for mistakes in the games. I know you can't put your hands on the kids, obviously, but if you don't have anything happen to you, then you don't care, and you'll continue to do, to do the same stuff. If I'm if I, if I'm Nick Saban, Seth McLaughlin, after the two games he's had, he's picking up trash in the stadium on Saturday night. You pick up every piece of trash in the stadium if you're going to roll the damn ball back to my quarterback when you haven't done it for two years. But kind of my little rant on the offensive line slash discipline problems that we're seeing. Lester, coming back. Let me come. Let me settle back down. Offensive line, do you think there needs to be some changes there? And a lot, you know, assess their performance and how they played the other night. How about how about this? How about this? Check this out. Bring it. Texas is so is, is uh, very very familiar to old Alabama teams. Check, listen to this. Texas, their offensive line, their defensive line, were simply. Better than Alabama's offense line and defense, they were better. I, I think Texas has invested so much nil or whatever on both sides of the ball in the trenches. They were simply better. Now for the rest of the season, our offense line, our defense line, offense line maybe to block better, you know, pass pro better, have better lanes, you know, running the ball. On the defense line, maybe able to, you know, with their stunts and things, get more pressure. But to be straight up with you, Texas just has the better offensive and defensive line. And there was not a single thing you can do about it. Not a single thing. Think about those old Alabama things that dominated. They set the tone up front. Bro, Sark learned so much from Nick. It is scary. But, dude, they on paper, on paper, like, if you go by the recruiting services, Lester, Alabama sure. has better players up there. But they you're do, saying, too. So you're saying Texas has better coaches. 
That hey, that's probably part of it too. I told y'all Alabama yeah. will yeah. not be beat by a more talented team unless they start screwing up, which they did in this game. That was my only asterisk. They won't be beat by a better team unless they start screwing up. But you know, we never thought that Texas has recruited, coached, and developed better than Alabama has. That that never crossed our mind until Oh, wow. Here they are. They're here. Parity in college football is here. Alabama is no longer the just most dominant team. Give credit to Texas. Give credit to Sark and their recruiting. They have developed, host, and put out a better offensive and defensive lines in the trenches than Alabama has. And that showed up Saturday night. It truly did. I, I want to give them credit first and foremost because those guys – Yes. They are freaking dogs, especially that defensive line. They got after it. You know why Seth was snapping the ball in the dirt? Because that big joker was over his head and tapping his ass all night long. That's why he was snapping the ball bad. I bet I bet Seth won't snap have a bad snap the rest of the year. Cause I mean, I'm not sure how great, you know, other D lines are hey, in the SEC. That week one too. Huh? He did it week one, too. That was my point. Like, if this is oh. the only game, then I could be like, yeah, you got abused. But to do right. it Middle Tennessee State, too, I mean, it's just pissed. It's just – yeah, it's, it's – I, I, I want to give credit to Texas first and foremost. They're, yeah, they're, they're I mean, they had together. A, you know, they had, a, they had a good plan. We we, did, we we made it easy for them going back to our yeah. offensive struggles. But it seemed like everybody before the game, Lester, was – you know, the matchup I want to see is Alabama's offensive line versus Texas front seven. And I understand that, you know, it made a lot of sense. But at the same time, everybody was picking Alabama. So who did they thought was going to win that matchup? Alabama. Right. So, right. yeah, I I, th- I just – I think that Texas – I don't think they had better talent than us as far as their D-line regarding our offensive line and their offensive line regarding their D-line. But I think they had better coaches, especially on that defensive line with Bo Davis. I mean, Bo Davis. Best D-line coach in America. Yeah. Yep. That's a great and even, by them. And, and even I looked down on Texas because I said, what did I say? I said, they're still a Big 12 defense. Nope. They're, change, they're changing quickly over there. Yeah. Buddy, Texas, hey, people are going to get mad. Texas has better coaches than Alabama. Is it all the way up to the head coach now? Well, all of them came from Alabama, bro. No, I'm talking like Davis, from, head, from head coach to – Pretty much everywhere else on the field, it, does Texas have better coaches than Alabama? I mean, it's not too far-fetched to think that Saban really took all that. He was the best coach he's ever been for the last 16 years. So from age 55 to 73, roughly, 52 to 73. Well, Sark's only like 40, 46. It's not too far-fetched to think that some of these younger guys that coached with Saban, not Kiffin, but obviously Kirby, Sark, the really good ones, they're not even in their prime yet. As be as far as like being really good coaches, I mean it's it's obvious that they have a better D line coach than us. They have a better offensive play caller than us. They probably have a better um, defensive coordinator than us because that's the guy that was at Washington when they were giving up essentially no points in the Pac twelve um, line. I mean like Kyle Flood, obviously a better, obviously probably the best offensive line coach in America. What he did at Alabama has now done at Texas. So, yeah, their whole staff is better than Alabama's. But you can even make the argument, if if Sark wins a natty this year, that he might be, like, stepping up as maybe the yeah second-best you know, head coach in America. I see it both ways because 
I think the culture is really good at Texas. I think Sark is very easy to work for. I don't think he's going to make you work 90 hours a week. But at the same time, I just I still don't see Texas hauling off. And what look, what makes Saban great is the fact that and look, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if he still has this anymore. I I'll say that. I'll put it out there. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I don't know if he still has the energy to do this anymore, but what made him so great is the fact that he knew how to motivate guys week in and week out, embrace the process, embrace the grind. He was the first one to ever say the word process. Did y'all ever hear the word process before 2008? I didn't. And I, mean, I know we were you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, but nobody, nobody talked about process. He was the first one to do it, and now – Every coach, you get him in an interview, oh, it's a process, 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 process. That all came from Nick Saban, whether you coach under him or not. And it's the process that he was able to get these guys to embrace the grind week in and week out and play every single game, every single play, like it is a national championship game. And like I said, I don't know if he can do that anymore. And can it can be kind of obvious that he can't do that anymore. But that's something that I don't see a guy like Sart doing. I think – Kirby can do it, but at the same time, Kirby also plays a cupcake schedule. So he can get away with it a lot more. And the SEC West, you can't just you can't beat Alabama. And like, look, here's an example. Say Texas was in the SEC this year. They beat Alabama last week. You turn around, you play Ole Miss and Oxford. I think Texas would lose. As good as Texas players are, this year I can easily still see Sark you know, like living yeah. off of this Alabama win and still yeah, gonna, going eight and four, not eight and four, but nine and three, ten and two, and missing the playoff. I could easily see it. And they're always going to lose that game they're not supposed to. Yeah. Yes, and that's what yeah. made Saban great, and that's where I don't see other teams or other coaches. I don't see them being able to do that. And no, I agree with that, and that that's I think that's one of the more frustrating things. I was talking to our buddy Evan the other day on the phone. I was like. What pisses me off the most is that Texas is probably going to – now, they have a really good team, obviously, but Texas is going to go out and blow some freaking Saturday 11 o'clock kickoff to Texas, Texas Tech, Tech or, or something. Yeah. State. Yeah. And then yeah. we're going to be scratching our heads as they do. How in the heck did those guys come into Bryant-Denny yeah. and beat us? Yep. And, I mean, and really, you look at the Rice game, week one. I mean, you know, they, they go very vanilla. They're not up for that game, and – and look, anybody can beat anybody in college football. In the spread era, 2023, if you don't have a great plan every single week, and that's why I was worried about Tommy Reese, anybody can put together a great game plan for one game. Who can do it for 12? That's your, you know, because once you get into the postseason, you're going to have your best game plan. You're going to have your most focused team, your most energetic team. I mean, nobody's going to have a lots of days go week of practice for the SEC championship game or a playoff game. But – are you going to be able to get these guys up for Missouri on the road the same as you are for, you know, at Tennessee or at LSU? And, you know, that's that's what made Saban great. I don't know if he can do that anymore, but that's where I see the difference in between, like, him and Sark, you know. And like I said, I think Kirby can do it closer than anybody else, but Kirby also has the luxury of playing South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Florida, you know, that's that's his team's – and, uh, and you know, next year that changes. I don't, I don't think Kirby will be able to do that. And I, th- I see Kirby at 10-2 and two next year. He's got to come to Tuscaloosa. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. Um, shit, what were we even talking about, guys? I'm sorry. Kind of chased a rabbit there. 
Um, J-Law, offensive line. I got Lester's opinion on the offensive line. Lester, do you want to add anything on that? No, not at all, but J-Law, what is your – give me a quick six, But – No, just halftime was just 13 to 6. I'm just thinking about the end result of the game, but yeah. yeah. Ahead, no, my opinion on the offensive line, how about shut up? Quit yeah. talking, dude. Good. Please. Yeah. Sh- like, Please. I've never heard a position group talk as much trash as these guys did. Now, listen, they weren't trash talking other opponents. Well, actually, they were. We're still the standard murder ball, joyless murder ball, whatever the hell that is. think that's an overblown thing as well. Um, but, dude, just shut up and go play. Like, it wouldn't be nearly as bad as, like, our offensive line and then these other talking heads, Josh Pate, Cole Kublik, didn't tell us that Alabama's going to be a bunch of freaking maulers this year. They can line it up and run it 70 times and beat you to sleep like it's 08 all over again. None of that's true. None of it's true. And the only reason it may be true, the only reason it may have been a thought is because our defensive line is so piss poorly coached, so piss poorly developed, and quite frankly, so piss poorly recruited that our offensive line may actually have a chance to push those guys around a little bit. So, no, no, I, th- I think that they're the, probably maybe the most overrated position group going into a year since Nick Saban became, became head coach, maybe outside of the 2021 receivers, which if you go back and look, like you don't know why those guys were that hyped anyway since they lost essentially everybody from the previous two years. Uh, but, no, I think it's just very frustrating to hear those guys talk and talk and talk the way they did to essentially come out and do nothing. Um, in the Texas game to help the quarterback, to help the run game, three- and four-man pressures. I thought there were a couple plays, and it was obvious. I didn't go back and watch it because when I'm at the game, um, I don't really have to go back and watch the game as much because I can I can noticeably remember the plays that we missed. Um, but I did think they gave him enough time on seven or eight other plays that were, if you go back and watch, potential touchdown plays whether they're the wheel routes, whether I think one play looking back, Isaiah Bond had five or six steps on somebody. Another play, Bond had five or six steps, and Milrow underthrew it by about 10 yards, and Bond mm-hmm. called it. But there was a couple other plays. There were some plays that they gave him enough time um, to sit back there and make a throw. And there were other times that I think the O-line did catch a bad break because he didn't stay in the pocket. There was one time where um, Amari Nablot picked up the block I mean, picked up the blitz, shoved. He was on the left side of the offensive line, ran the linebacker or the defensive end around what should have been the backside of Milrow, except before before it even gets time to even think about jumping out of the pocket, Milrow's already drifting backwards and to his left and almost walks right into a sack. So I thought there were a couple of times as that, but no, they're not as advertised. They're not nearly as good as what people thought they were going to be, and they're not nearly as good for the amount of trash and bulletin board material they put up uh in the offseason so it's super disappointing and um i don't know i mean they're just not very good and that's like i think i think you could change quarterbacks and potentially get better quarterback play i'm not sure what you do on the ol to get better o-line play because that's such a unit that has to gel uh, we all hate Dalcourt as a player, not as a person. None of this stuff's personal. None of us hate Jalen Milrow. I think Jalen Milrow is probably the best kid on the team, to be honest with you. Um, he's just not an SEC quarterback. Seth McLaughlin's having an awful two bad games. I think you will see some people shuffle in and out. Um, but it would have been nice to get your best five on the field for the biggest game of the year. That would have been great. Ten penalties, Lester. Um, I-, I want you to to 
touch on this again. And it's, it's one of your big things, like you did say last week, that that was the only thing capable of, uh, of stopping Alabama is itself. Um, you still got DBs. Tyrion Arnold held a guy for like 15 yards, dude. Since y'all video, he grabs him at like the 40 and releases him at the 25 or the 20. Then he gets the flag thrown on him, and then he puts his hands up. Like, man, what I do? Like, you just freaking grabbed him for 20 yards, buddy. You thank, can't thank do God that. For, thank He's God for that flag, this too. Thank God for that flag, because that was that was the reverse wide receiver pass. Oh, yeah. his ass was caught looking at the backfield. Thank God for the flag. I, you know what? And see, that kind of penalty, I'm okay with it. That guy's about to torch you for a freaking bomb. Yeah, tap his ass. That's the Auburn way. That's why they don't give up long touchdowns. I'm serious. Do yeah, it. I am okay. I will I – look, give them 15 yards. 15 is better than a touchdown and 60 yards over your head, buddy. I'm okay with that. But Seth and the 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 false stars, the hiking the ball yeah. six inches, then jerking the ball back, no, he's doing that because that guy's tapping on his ass all game long. There's nothing he can do about it. And all the other stuff, the just undisciplined, just – hey. I don't know. It's it's we we thought that the things that played us last year were for the most part eliminated, mm-hmm. and that's not true. It's not. Yeah, it's not ten, ten penalties. Four penalties gave him first downs, and then two of them took away touchdowns. Like I said earlier, one of them was uh should have been a an interception, but um there's another passage to Burton where um. Somebody was downfield, I guess. I don't – or, no, it was uh, Proctor was holding. Um, So, yeah, uh, you know, and, and let's say I, I don't mind you giving up the flag or grabbing the guy off your torch, but don't throw your hands up whenever the ref throws the flag on you. And, right, act, yeah, like, dumb. you had no idea what you did. Like, in every in everyday practice, Nick Saban's going, hey, make sure that you grab the guy really hard and just tug on his jersey for 15, 20 yards. That's what we're going to teach here. Like, I mean – but yeah, just uh, another frustrating. I and mean, J Lo, Nick Saban, he addresses the penalties and all and all the stuff. And and once again, he gets he gives us the same thing he said last year. All of our issues are fixable. In your opinion, how do you fix disciplinary issues? I told y'all what I do. You got to punish them. You you know you can't you can't line them up in a room and just beat the crap out of them. I understand that. But I think there's got to be some kind of punishment. You got to be held accountable as a player. So, J Law, what is your, I mean, how do you fix penalties? Um, I think Saban just said that to keep the team's head into it in hopes that it actually might be true. But I don't, I don't think it's true. I really don't. I don't think that everything that Alabama did wrong is fixable because you've had since you've had, you knew these were problems last year. It's the same ones. So while you've had – actually, it's the same problem since 2021. So you've had two years to fix these exact problems. You haven't fixed them yet. You're 700 and whatever, 30 days since then, since we started to realize these were problems in 2021. So if you have two years to fix them, are they fixable? And if they are, why haven't you fixed them? Why is it the exact same problem? Why are you still bad in the trenches? Are you not paying enough NIL to go get the big boys? If that's the case, just say it's the case. Are you not using the transfer portal properly to go get guys that actually can actually play? Okay, fix it. Is it because your defensive line coach is not good? Okay, fix it. 
But those are the exact same problems. So, no, I don't think that they're fixable because they've known since the end of the 2021 season that these were the issues and they're still not fixed. So they, they might be fixable, but I don't think it is fixable under the current setup that Alabama has, whether it's Wolford, whether it's Roach, whether it's just boneheaded guys, lack of discipline. Yeah, Kevin's still left, but Coleman Hutzler, Freddie Roach is still there. T-Rob is still there. Um, all the Joe Cox is still there. All these guys are still there that are supposed to be coaching these guys. It's not all of Nick Saban, but not not enough stuff has changed to show me that they are actually going to fix these issues. How do you fix them? Dude, I don't know. If they do fix them, what are they going to do? They're going to they're going to lock JC Latham in a shed like Mike Leach did the <laughs> what's his name's kid? Well, he, I mean like he, what are they actually going to do? So I know I don't I don't break, think break James did. Yeah. Yeah, like he Replacing. did Okay, replace them with who though? So go out there and lose games. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'd love to, but I think that they think that they got the best guys on the field, and that's the problem. Well, and I understand that, but I'm not saying you have to replace them for a whole year, but until they get the point across, that's kind of the last resort for me. I mean, I watched Seth McLaughlin. What he had two snap, two false snap penalties. Um, think he did he have a holding call this game? Uh, he had two or three bad snaps and then two or three more against Middle Tennessee State. Buddy, sit your ass on the bench. Somebody else. Get reps. And then you give Seth a couple of weeks and then maybe try him again. And if he's fixed himself, you roll. And if not, you roll back. I mean, it, it's it's like at some point you got to stand up and be like, hey, look, I'm not going to stand for this. I don't give a shit if you're a first-round draft pick or a guy who's going to go undrafted which is a guy like J.C. Latham or Seth McLaughlin. Seth McLaughlin's not going to play in the NFL. And, yeah, he might be the best center you have on your roster, but at some point you have to take a stand and say, I'm not going to stand for you hurting my offense and putting us behind the chains because you won't do it the way I want you to do it. If you're not going to do it my way, you're not going to play football. Is that the wrong thing to do? Is that the wrong thing to say? No, listen, I don't I don't think that it's is not, but it may be six months too late. Yeah, I think that, that that's that's what I'm saying is it would have been great to realize that these guys are not any good, the ones that are struggling, and put sure. somebody else in there to get them ready. Well, I, I think mean, it's too I'm late not now. They're not good, but if they're making bonehead penalties, I, I mean that's that's all that's what I'm talking about. Like if it's Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid's a great cover corner. If he keeps doing stuff and he keeps getting flagged for it, you gotta replace him. I mean, that's well, just, they did that to Terry on Arnold, and Trey Amos just let somebody run right by him. They, well, there yeah. you go. And so, what's it matter? That, that, that's yeah. a good point. So, what's it matter? Um, hey, I hate to say it. Say what? I, I hate to say that, but I mean, like, that's yeah. that happens. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, that's, but the, in, anyway, that's how you instill discipline, though. That is, there is, you know, it's very, I get frustrated when people are like, well, it's just not fixable. You can't do anything about it. Yeah, you can. And I might be harsh, but if it's what you have to do, and yeah, your team's going to, you know, it's a, your team's not going to be as talented on the field, but they're going to be more disciplined. And who knows? I mean, what if, what if Proctor is not in the game when he, and, and there's a, and there's no holding call and Burton scores that touchdown? What if Dalcourt's not in the game and, we don't have a lineman downfield, and Burton scores that touchdown. Then you win the football game. I mean, I'm not saying, yeah, you might give up an extra sack or two because Proctor or 
Dalcor is not in the game. But from what I'm seeing right there, I don't think anybody on that offensive line is irreplaceable. Are, are y'all seeing somebody up there that's like, oh, man, got to have that guy. We can't win. I don't see any of them out of the five. I do think – no, I agree with that. But I do think that you've weakened the offensive line by moving Booker left, you putting Dalcourt right. 100%. Put yeah. Booker back on the right side. And if you got to run it right and you think – I mean, just put him over there. Put an extra tight end if that's the way you think you need to run the ball. But putting Booker beside a liability at left tackle, just have both your liabilities on one side. I mean – I don't think that moving Booker over there to put Dalcourt beside beside Latham has helped this offensive line at all. Yeah, and and I don't think I didn't want Latham over the right side anyway. I understood the point of it, but I don't like a true freshman protecting the back side anyway. Um, so if you're gonna put your liabilities, put them on the right side, so at least your quarterback can see it coming whenever he's gonna get hit in the damn mouth. Uh, you know that, that's gonna take away some fumbles too, but. Anyway, um, hey, moving over to the defensive side of the ball, plenty of problems over there too. Um, they played well until the fourth quarter, then they just got abused. Um, was it 10, 11% pressure rate? It's like the lowest under Nick Saban that Alabama got on Saturday night against Quinn Ewers. Um, yeah. Lester, talking about the defensive line and how disappointed you are with them, and, and not necessarily with them, um, just the whole defense as a whole and, and the lack of pressure. Man, I, I'm, I, I have a bigger issue that leads to the defensive deficiencies. But me too. What's yours? Uh, what's mine? Yeah, I got one too. My deficiency is where's the fourth quarter program? Why? Why? Yeah. Why are we folding? In the what did what did Kirby what did Nick tell Kirby at the halftime of the national championship game? Y'all kicked our ass in the fourth quarter. Why? 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 I'm looking at the game right now. It is seven minutes and 58 seconds to go. The score is 13 to 9. And from here to the end of the game, they ain't have it. I was I was thinking to myself, I was texting y'all and other people. I was like, Ben, don't break. Ben don't break. Ben don't break. But you know what, man? After a certain point, you're going to break. And then on top of not having that conditioning, it's going to break. It's going to fail miserably. And I believe to a degree that's what happened. Look, they didn't get all the pressures there. They didn't. They didn't. They they weren't great. But damn it, man, for 75% of the game, or I guess this is probably 66% of the game, you've held this team to 13 points, and they end the game scoring 34. Well, what? guys, hold on. Let's just call time out. We score, sure. they score, we throw a pick, and they score. They scored 14 points in 14 seconds. Okay. So, like, yeah, I mean, you feel like you're out of the game at that point. I mean, it just is what it is. It was 16-13, then it was 27-16 before you could snap your fingers. So, you knew Sark was going to come out. But you knew Sark was going to come out and score 27-30. to So, if you don't make those boneheaded mistakes at quarterback, they they may not get to 34. It's a 27-24 ball game. You have the ball in your hands with five minutes to go or the other way around. Right. So, like, I mean, it's not all on the defense, dude. Sark's going to get guys running wide open. You know, he had it twice in the first quarter against us last year, and Worthy dropped the touchdown on a 50-yard yep. bomb on the first yep. drive. Like, that's going to happen. You just cannot feed into that 
with your offense? I think the defense was fine, guys. I really, really do. Now, here's a stat for you. Um, Ewers was 22% on passes over 20 yards. Um, I guess this season, a hundred. No, that's his career. That's against every other team he's played, not named right. Alabama. And he was 0 for 7 against Rice last week. Yeah. And the first touchdown to Worthy, that pretty 44-yard bomb, was his first career touchdown pass of over 20 air yards. I don't I don't know what happens to these guys when they come in to play Alabama. Um I maybe the finger okay. of God touches them and they're just blessed for that day. I don't get it. But yeah. I, I, I just I, I find it so hard to just put a lot of blame on the on the defense, man. Um especially after how bad the offensive came out and showed. But they can get better. Um the defensive line is just it's underwhelming to me. All the stunts, all the blitzes, none of them got home. Um, Ewers didn't even have to Clorox his jersey after the game. I don't think the guy was hit much, man. Um, I think he, he had one grass on the shoulder. He wasn't sacked. He wasn't sacked. Yeah. And, you know, and we talked a lot about all season how Kevin Steele's going to bring gas. A lot. That's my beef right there, Lester. Is Yeah. Where's this risk-reward defense that Kevin yep. Steele had at Auburn? Because, like, look, Texas yep. – Ewers threw the ball 38 times, right? I went back and rewatched it too. Alabama brought four or less 26 out of 38 times. Eight times they brought five rushers. And then only four times, four out of 38 passing attempts, usually your third and longs, they brought six or more. Usually it's just six. So 68% of the time, Alabama, Alabama brought four or less rushers after Ewers. Um, if you go back and watch the 2019 Iron Bowl whenever Mac played over there and Kevin Steele called that game from the from like on his home field, which is usually where you're more aggressive. Right. Kevin Steele, I swear they lined up without a safety like 10 times that game and said, if you're gonna beat me, you've got one second to to let it go. You're gonna get on, you're gonna you're gonna be on your ass. And it's like, where's the killer mindset like that at Alabama? They're still so timid. Like you're in the comfort in your own stadium, you're obviously going to give up big plays anyway. While you're bringing four or five guys, so why not bring seven and just have a chance to knock the quarterback on his ass? I mean, the yeah, scout report that, on Ewers was, you know, you got to pressure him. I mean, Rice pressured him and see how he was there. I understand it's a completely different scenario, yeah. Um, but you, you you pressure him, and then Kevin Steele and Nick Saban decide to drop six or six or more guys into coverage on ninety percent of the pass plays. And that that's right. That's still got picked apart. Yeah. See, that's my issue is that you didn't go affect the quarterback because you thought sitting back in coverage would prevent what actually happened. Yep. The best way to get a quarterback out of a rhythm, just get him out of a rhythm. Hit him a couple times, dude. Pick up a 15 yarder. What was the freak? What was the difference, man? Like he might do something. He might look, he might stand in there and deliver one, and he might hit you for a 60 yard touchdown. But I promise you, the next time you're coming, he's not going to be thinking about that touchdown. He's going to be thinking, uh, that shit hurt last time. Yep. Yep. Affect him any kind of way. Hit him, like you guys said. Every successful defensive snap, like a sack, is great. But hitting that guy, mentally affecting him, is just as good. It's just as important. I, I agree with that y'all. Y'all are right, man. 
Because I don't think Ewers was like that great this game. But man, he put the ball on the money and did what he had to do because he just simply was not affected. He was not he was not forced to have a great game. I think Ewers, this is just he just had a, a average game for him. You know, if we were tagging that ass all night long, if we were getting pressure on him, he still dices us up. I may feel a little bit differently. But this just seemed like another game for Quinn Ewers. It's almost like it's almost like we were scared of their receivers. And I understand A.D. Mitchell and Xavier Worthy are plus-plus guys. I mean, the tight end was really good. But it seemed like we played on our heels way too much. And, Jayla, who are our receivers in 2019? We went we went over and played that iron ball. I remember Waddle. You know, he caught for like 400 yards. No, it was um, Waddle, Smith. Um, it was the same guys, wasn't it? It was Judy Matthew. and Ruggs and all them too, right? Were they still on the team? I thought they left after 18. No, because they were freshmen in 17. Yeah, they were all there. Yeah, because they played there. against Michigan in the bowl game. And then right. it was at Ruggs or whatever got hurt. And But so all those receivers, and Kevin Steele said, you know what, screw you. Maybe it's because he was an underdog or whatever. I don't know. But there's no way those DBs were better than what Alabama has on this team. And Alabama's receivers as a unit were way better than what Texas put on the field. And still had just this dog mindset that, you know what, I'm going to give up big plays, but I'm going to try to make some big plays with my defense as well. And he did, and he won the game. So why don't we get that's – what, that's, what, that's what I expected to see. You know how we talked about earlier about how we expected Tommy Reese to incorporate a lot of quarterback run in his game plan this week against Texas. I expected Kevin Steele to really bring some heat on Quinn Ewers and, and try to – you know, because especially after last year, you know, you knocked him out. It won you the ball game. So you go hit him and and maybe takes him out of the game or, you know, it forces some errant throws and maybe gets you a tip ball interception. You know, who knows? Yeah, I was certainly looking forward for this defense to, you know, especially after MTSU, put pressure on the guy, put pressure on the quarterback. You know, I was expecting them to have at least one or two turnovers this game strictly because of the pressure I thought we would bring. Pressure that that never came, and when it did go, it just never got there. So, you know, that's that's where you're, you're kind of just stuck between the rock and the hard place because what can you do? Well, uh, yeah, we started recording about an hour earlier than when you than we usually do. <laughs> Guys, look, we try to get the podcast forty five to fifty five minutes. You know. We understand that everybody's busy. You don't have time to listen to an hour-plus-long podcast. Unfortunately, we had a little bit more rant to do on this one. Guys, last thoughts on the Texas game. Much as it sucked, you know, quarterback, offense. Hey, hey, J-Law, Holman Wiggins, baby, the best coach we have on the roster. Another week of zero receiver drops. Jason McClellan dropped one. That don't count. Zero, zero receiver drops. And, buddy, they made some hella catches, too, some tough contested catches. Yeah, um, there is is it is there are the receivers the best part of our offense now? I know, isn't that crazy? And they were expected to be the worst, were they not? Yeah, I mean, like they couldn't catch anything in the spring. So yeah, that's I guess that's a positive for this team. Also, our bet of the week, uh, at least mine was absolute dog trash. Oh, oh we went 0 and three, by the way. And I got reminded of that by one of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A shout out to the guy at the pod at the at the tent. Can't remember his name, who's a loyal listener. Matt. Matt. Is it Matt? Oh yeah. Hey, there's a, man, my phone's been blowing up about, you know, wanting to get the podcast out. Everybody's ready for it. I'm like, look, he said, I can't even sleep at night right now. Let me, 
let me calm my body down. <laughs> let, me, let me get reset in the week. Because, dude, if I would have recorded this on Sunday or Monday, I think I'd have exploded. But, uh, yeah. Um, right are, are we going to look up some games real fast for bet of the week? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm heading in. First off, Lester, South Florida on the road. Do you like the two for one? Um, yeah, go go down there twice and wait. No, what is oh, it? It's uh, they'll come to us twice and then we got to go down there once. Sure, I don't. I mean, I think I think that's cool. Um, I'd like I like for now that the playoff stuff and all this crap because everybody everybody changed their schedule. Oh, we need to have this big um in season game and yada yada. yada. I like to see us do more of the. I like the two for one thing, but I like to see more of. Well, let's go back to let's go back to the Chick Fil A kickoff. Let's go back to Dallas, Atlanta, Miami, or whatever to start the season and get back to big games like that. So personally, yeah, I, I like the two for one format or whatever they got going on. I like it. It'd be cool. To, uh, my my last thing, my last thing about Texas. Why are we playing? Why do we play Texas? That's, I that's knew that was going to happen. Dude, we've been on here for over an hour. Why are we playing? We. In in 2016-17, all we were told was strength of schedule, strength of record, yep. blah, 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 yep. blah, blah, all this other stuff. Dude, none of that shit matters. If we learned anything from the last five to seven years of the college football playoff, if you have two losses, yep. you're 99.9% out. So playing Texas makes no sense. And listen, they were better, they were better than us. They beat us at home by 10. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not. But what's the point of a team like Alabama who has a massive learning curve, especially early in the season, to play a team like Texas when, like, if we're going to play them, dude, don't penalize us for playing them while Georgia played Ball State. Don't penalize Alabama for for playing to Texas and losing when Ohio State played Yale last weekend or whoever they were playing. Like, don't penalize us for playing Texas. But we know we're going to get penalized. Now Alabama has to play 10 consecutive, if not 11 consecutive. It's not going to happen. Perfect, perfect games. That's yep. not gonna yep. happen. Yeah, that's no. what. But that's what I'm saying. So playing yeah. Texas doesn't make any sense. And no, if you're doesn't. gonna play these games early and you lose, I there there should not that there should be a mulligan. I get it. The game counts, but a lot can happen over time. But what we've seen is people got suckered into playing these games over yep. strength of schedule, strength of record, and it's all bullshit. None of it was true, and now yeah. Alabama's stuck with a loss here in a 14 playoff. Next year, it won't matter. There's 12 or right. 16 well, teams, all, but now it does matter, especially I mean, especially after Georgia canceled on Oklahoma. Yeah, that's the, that's what that's what that's what hurts the most. They're like, screw it. Yeah, um, they, they say, okay, we're not doing it. But J Law, if the committee would choose right, wouldn't you feel? I, I would be. I would feel better about it because here's a scenario. Look. Alabama's not going in the SEC undefeated. They're going to drop a game. Ole Miss, A&M, LSU, no Tennessee, Arkansas is really good at Auburn. So you're going to end up 10-2. and two. What if you're 10-2 and two and you go to the SEC championship game and you beat Georgia, who's going to be 12-0? I so, think they'll get in. And you're sitting there at that five spot. But let me ask you this. What if Alabama comes out with a different quarterback this week, say it's Buckner or Simpson, whoever, and – they kind of and Milrow just kind of fades off into the distance, and they go nine and one with the new quarterback and look a lot better. They're beating good teams, you know. They beat, you know, three or four ranked teams. Now, does the committee say okay? Well, then when they play Texas, Jalen Milrow is the quarterback. Maybe they shuffle the offensive line too. Who knows? If the committee, if I could trust them to be like, okay, that's a different team. 
back then in week two than it is now, which is the case no matter who the quarterback is. You're going to develop. You're going to get better most of the time. I, if I had if I had confidence in the committee doing that, then I would be okay with it. But isn't that the point of having the committee? Because in the old days, the computers would say Alabama lost, Alabama won, beat, 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 put it together, spit the two teams out that are going to the BCS championship game. But isn't that the point of the committee? Hey, Alabama did yeah. what we asked them to do. They scheduled a big game. Yeah, they lost it in week two, but a lot happens over 10 weeks. Like, that's what the committee should be. That's a, not, like last year, not the same thing. Alabama lost the game in October and November. I get it. But now I just, I'm just looking at history from 2014 all the way to the 2022 college football playoff. You're essentially eliminated because you have to play perfect football the rest of the year. I mean, hell, you know, another thing for the committee is, is, what if Texas goes? What if Texas and Alabama go eleven and one, and Texas drops a game at, to like I, I don't know Oklahoma State at home? They beat them at home. Now Texas has a way worse loss than Alabama, but Texas is going to get the nod because they beat us straight up, which I don't think is fair either. No, and what happens if Alabama has? Is a one-loss SEC champion and yeah, is like undefeated and yeah, yeah, like what's going on at that point? It's just it's it's just the fact that we played this game all because Greg Byrne got suckered into scheduling these games. That's literally the only reason why. Like he gets a lot of credit for yeah. essentially ruining the game day atmosphere, um, making games too expensive. I mean, dude, there was a thousand. Did y'all realize? Some people paid $700, $800 per ticket to get into that game to watch Alabama completely crap the bed against Texas. A ticket. I know families that spent $2,400, took You're their kids, kid. took their two kids to a game for the first time. They're, yeah, they have money. They spent $2,400 to go to this game yep. and, and to sit through that, actually scream that out in, in our seats, and they got a big laugh out of sections uh, P, Q, and R in about midway through the third quarter. But man, it's just kind of crazy that Alabama got they played that game for no reason because nobody else played that game and they won their game against Youngtown State, Ball State, whoever the hell else they were playing. And those teams are going to shoot up the rankings yep. because they won when Alabama went out, competed against a very good team that's most likely going to be in the college football playoff lost. And now everybody hates us and thinks that we suck. And I do, I don't think Alabama's very good either. I don't think they're national championship level, but it's just funny how that works out. Yeah, it's yeah, I, yeah. I got a lot of comments. Saving these to reimburse the fans for their tickets. Come on, and you know that. what, Greg Byrne? If it is expensive to go to a game, Brian Denny Stadium is not going to be empty, bro. Look here, it, this may sound insensitive to whatever, and I know I'm oh, probably oh, more blessed. I'm probably more blessed than most people, but everything ain't for everybody. You know what I'm saying? I don't live in a freaking mansion. I'm not going on, you know, a private jet. I don't have a Range Rover. Everything is not for everybody. If you can't afford it, that's unfortunate, man. That's a lot of problem with people nowadays. It If it's expensive, look, Brian Denny is not going to be empty. Damn the fans complaining about the schedule. Your goal as an athletic director, your goal, Nick Saban, to get a team into the playoff every single year. Quit trying to fill the seats. There, it's, how big is the waiting list? To get on at Alabama, how many? How many Tens years? Of thousands, thousands yeah. of people. 
Yeah, the tickets are already bro. sold. They already sold the tickets. That's what I don't understand. That's what I'm saying. Quit trying to appease the fans. You know what every fan cares more about than going to a game of Tuscaloosa every week? Being 1-0 on that Ooh, Saturday. Yep. That's it. That's it. Just get in the playoff. Yeah, dude, there's no Alabama fan sitting there Everybody. like, damn, dude, I'm really glad we played Texas and lost this week. Thanks. <laughs> no. I mean, dude, no. I, I would, like you could say that's not good for college football. If it – okay, make everybody do it. Make, make everybody, everybody do, it. do it. Make the 14 seed from the SEC play the 14 seed of the Big Ten and make the Big Ten one seed from last year play the Big Ten or the SEC one seed from this year. Make it even. Make it fair, yep. and that's the real yep. issue with college football is there's nobody controlling it to make it fair. Like I'm not talking about recruiting, but I'm talking about, like, you have teams that were told something, they went and did it, and now they're screwed because of it. Yep. Yeah, it's like the ACC, SEC challenge in basketball they do every year. Like, Kentucky's going to play Duke and North Carolina because that's who everybody wants to see, and then you right. kind of try to match up based off of what they did last year. But – um, all right, there was too much uncertainty in college football. Nobody knew what the future was going to be, yeah. and everybody made their bets. And to Greg schedule Burns, games 12 years in advance, exactly. Greg Byrne, they want to schedule games 10, 12, 15, 20 years in advance. And some teams, you know what, stay pat. Some teams just didn't do a damn thing and just let it ride because you know what, they're good enough anyway. They don't have Alabama doesn't have to prove themselves to anybody whether the team is good or not. You don't have to schedule Texas and hope and pray to beat Texas for people to know or think that you're good or not. Right. That's just, that for TC, that's just for Oak State, TCU. Yeah. Okay that's why Georgia didn't play Oklahoma because they don't have to. Bingo. Yep. All right. My rant's over. That's all I need to rant. Now, next week, let's get them South Florida. <laughs> um, Lester, Bama, the line I saw earlier today was minus 32. They cover it. I don't know much about South Florida. I, I'm going to say yeah. they probably don't cover it um, just because I don't – I mean, I don't want them to cover it. Let's let's <laughs> get the quarterbacks in. Let's rotate them out, and let's see what we got. I mean – Yeah, you just want to do the same thing we talked about before Middle Tennessee State. I, I agree. Yeah. Unfortunately. And look, the way Milro throws the damn ball, he may give it up a couple times if he's plays those games. Hell, so you South Florida, he's going to be Brett Favre. Yeah, you can't count on him to, you know, lead a dominant offense. So, you know, yeah, no, be, I don't think they cover. Hell, I, they, think, I think he'll be Tua on Saturday. He'll be a right-handed Tua. Will. I think Bama wins 49-13. I think they cover easily. J-Law, what you got? J-Law go to sleep on us? No, nah, there's like a massive thunderstorm. I was let some thunder pass. Oh. Um, no, I, I I think that I'm going to be hella frustrated if Jalen Milrow gets to play all four quarters or three quarters as a starter because he has not earned that right. At this point, he has not earned the right to do that, or at least he lost it last week, um, which goes back to was it a fair quarterback competition? Doesn't look like it, whatever. Nope. But, no, I do think Alabama – I do think Alabama covers. I think that um, Jalen Milrow will look – really freaking good against every team that doesn't have as much talent as Alabama. Um, that's not in our conference. So, yeah, if he, if he plays the whole game, Alabama's going to win by – they'll cover. If another if they play all three quarterbacks, they're going to cover. Nothing, change, nothing is different for me in this game versus South Florida as it was against Middle Tennessee. The same result will happen. 
Lester, do you have your bet of the week ready? You don't need to go to J Law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got um uh, who is oh, it? Uh, um what? Tennessee, Tennessee and Florida. Oh, um, hey, you know, that's intriguing. Tell me why you like that. Because that line is a lot lower than I, w- I thought Tennessee would be about nine, half? nine and a half. What is that, like six? It's six and a half. I'm looking at it right now. Tennessee, six and a half, minus six and a half. It seems so easy, but for some reason, these lines are really hit. I don't understand. I, I wanted to go with South Carolina and Georgia. I was going to pick South Carolina to cover. But, no, I saw the Tennessee-Florida line. I'm like, Tennessee should boat race Florida, how Florida has looked the first two weeks of the season. Right. Yeah. that first game, but I don't know. There is some concerns about Joe Milton's accuracy. Uh, I saw that, and so um, that's what I told y'all. He's been benched twice for a reason, so um, so we'll see. Yeah, tough atmosphere at the Swamp. We'll see if Tennessee can get that done. Hey, sucker bet. The sucker bet Uh-oh. of the week. I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all. The sucker bet of the week is Washington minus 16 at Michigan State. Michigan State, with all the Mel Tucker stuff going on, take Michigan State plus 16. Because most of the time, the fans and players, like you got the interim coach and all that stuff, for some reason, it gives the program juice. Now, Washington State's going to win the game comfortably, but I think Michigan State gets under 16 at home. Yeah, so week one, I took home a dub with the Penn State Nittany Lions. I'm going back at it. It's 14 and a half on the road, 11 o'clock kickoff, but I think Penn State's that good over Illinois. Um, Again, Oklahoma sitting there is a massive favorite. Uh, I like that one over Tulsa, too. But I did screw everybody last week because I really bought into Petrino and Jimbo Fisher, so it is what it is. Yeah, no, you killed me in my pick three, too. I took that on John and Barry's show. But you say Penn State is favored by 14 and a half on the road. Yeah. I think I think I think they'll get I think they'll probably win that one by I like to, I like to make bold predictions. I don't want to take some yeah, chunk that line. Hook, that hook on the road is tough. I like the six and a half in, in for Tennessee, but 14 and a half is tough because that means you basically gotta win by 17, right? Essentially. Well, you can win by 15. I mean you yeah, gotta it's tough to um, that number. Now the Iowa minus 28 and a half. Well, Iowa even score 28 points. Dude, they're scoring now. Caden McNamara is the truth. <laughs> Are they? Or whatever his name is. Is that – hang on, no. Who's the guy – didn't they get a – they got to transfer a quarterback in. I'm sorry. I haven't paid attention enough. But now the quarterback's not bad. What's the prime – the prime – hey, Colorado, 23-point favorite? Mm. Take it. They're going to be wide open. I'd take Colorado. I'm I'm all in on them. Till they play USC or somebody with equal talent or better talent. Also, if you got fooled by Oregon last week, I'm sorry. I kind of liked them a little bit too, and they barely squeaked by at Texas Tech. They covered though. Yeah, did they? I thought they were. I thought they were okay. Yeah, they guess they did. Uh, it's like yeah, like eight or something like that. They won by nine. I can't remember, but yeah, I think they covered. Um. All right, guys. Final thoughts. Final thoughts on Texas. Final thoughts on South Florida. Um, may the best man win the quarterback job. And if there's not a quarterback competition after last week, then I don't know what would cause one. Yeah, that's all. We should have talked about that earlier. But it, yeah. it, by the way, if you're still listening, hey, you're a true listener. We appreciate you. I mean, you're you're the OG Gump Runners guy. If you're still listening to us right now, but I'll tell you this. I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked 
if you don't see Jalen Milrow for at least three quarters in this game, shocked. Now, do I want that to happen? Do I agree with it? No, but I'll be shocked. Buster, how do you feel about that? You think? I mean, you think there's actually going to be a competition here? Or you think it is what it is by now? We just got to roll with it. The thing is, is that we we we've seen Milrow, like 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 Blake Barnett against sure. US. We we saw him. We know what he can do, and it was ugly. It wasn't good. Now, luckily, that game we won. Hell, but you know, your your guy Milrow here. He, he costs us a, a dub. It's not all on him, but, you know, a couple throws here and there, you know, yada, yada, yada. We need to see what the other guys have. You brought in Buckner for a reason. You brought in somebody who was familiar with Tommy Reese's system for a reason and anticipate that he can catch on quick and play, right? So I, I'd love to see how Buckner does. You know, it, it's not exactly a true road game. I don't think South Florida fans will show up, but on the road, you know, light zone. I would love to see how another quarterback plays. That's all. all right, and you know what? Oh let's, shit! Let's, and <laughs> I'm, I'm, Reese, Tommy Reese, bro. Let's do something different, dog. Like, I I want to see growth from Tommy Reese in this game. How about that? Learn that, from mistakes. That's all we how, ask, man. How's that How's that phrasing? I want to see a little bit of growth. Yeah. You don't have to completely flip up the system, but I want to see four or five different plays that I didn't see against Texas. You know what I'm saying? Just a little. Bro, maybe, the cool. plays were maybe, there. Maybe. Alabama could have scored 40 on Texas. Sure. They were sitting right there. I agree. He's talking about he wants to see the oh, offense be adaptive to your more, personnel. A little bit more to the personnel. Which is what we've been told that is, quote, Saban's system. Change the person. At this point, it don't matter. Change the personnel. Well, that, I think that's what Lester's saying. Either change the personnel or, or change, change, the, change the, the offense. Do y'all think that Saban feels the pressure? Do you think he's thinking – I need to bench Milrow, but I can't no. bench Milrow. Or like, what's he think? I I think that he felt he feels the pressure. Dude, I, I really do. You know I do think he feels. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't. I don't want to get into that discussion. I'm not gonna say that. it on the podcast, but you do know my take. And after that, Latham, after, after that Latham tweet after the game, I don't think you're wrong, but I think it's good that the team sees that this dude might not be it, bro. He's your dog. Do they see that though? Wide receivers. How many touchdowns do you have this game? You know, how many touchdowns do you have thus far? Yeah. Maybe another quarterback can get you the ball. Maybe another quarterback can distribute the ball more to these four- and five-star guys, and we can play a little bit better. You know what I mean? So, damn your feelings. Yeah, you know? I'm saying there's no way that that Isaiah Bond and Jermaine Burton enjoyed running running routes last week knowing that they weren't. Dude, Isaiah Bond about died. Yeah, absolutely. I thought he broke his neck. Yeah. Dude, that guy about died. Malik Benson about died over one of the over the middle. I'm like, guys, we're making hella plays, man. If we could, like, we might have. I don't. I still don't think our, our receivers are elite, but I think they're above average. I think they're good. And I think they're good enough to win you ball games if you put them in the right position and trust them. No, I agree. I just think that I think Saban. I think after the game and the, there were boos, moans, and groans about yeah. what was going on on offense in the stadium. I mean, you can hear them. Um, I think he feels the pressure. And just looking at Tommy Reese's face, like when they put him on camera, I saw the screenshots. I didn't go back and watch it, but that's a guy that's frustrated that knows that he called 
seven or eight plays that should have been massive plays to at least get you in the red zone to run more plays. And we got one of them. That's just not acceptable. Yeah, Milro missed that little ball, that little tall yeah, but, sideline to the running back. And you know and they had the bad snap on that play. I mean, it's just yeah, a lot. In that in that offense, though, you have to rely on five or six plays as being big time plays. Whereas you watch Colorado, those guys can score on every play. Every play they're going for. And that's it. the difference. That's what we wanted with Garrett Riley and all these other guys. That when we were talking about who we wanted to hire as office coordinator. Nobody ever said, I want to get back to running with four year, three, four yards in the cloud of dust. And then every once in a while, maybe hit a play action shot over the top. This isn't the NFL. Like nobody wants that. We've seen that the last two years. That's, you know, it just. And so that's what's frustrating about this offense. And yeah, I can understand why Reese is frustrated because. Those plays are kind of set up throughout the week and throughout the game. You know, the wheel route was a play that was set up throughout the game, I think. Um, the one to bond was a third and four, I think, coming out of halftime, if I'm not mistaken. And so that might have been something that they saw out of the booth that they can run out of the bunch. And uh, Bond was kind of the last guy on the bunch, and he just ran a little wheel route, ran right by the guy. They were expecting him to sit down maybe at the sticks, and he just kept on going, and he underthrew him and still completed it, but still underthrew him by 10 yards. Um, so those plays are set up, but the frustrating thing is, is that you watch these other teams and they're so spread out and everything's in space where you miss one tackle and bam, you've given up 30, 40 yards. And that's where my frustration comes in is I think we had the athletes or with our athletes, with our personnel, I think that's what we need to be doing. Yep. Yep. No, I totally agree with that. Like we're not, I don't, two years. So the prior two years and this year so far, I don't think that we're running the stuff that that would score us the most points. I think that's pretty obvious, and I think that's why we were upset when we hired Tommy Reese. Yeah. But all right, guys. Well, hey, if you're still with us, we appreciate you, and hopefully next week will be a little bit calmer heading into the the matchup with with uh, Pete Golding and Lane Kiffin, two former assistants, and. Um, see what we can do against South Florida. You know, interesting to see about the the offensive line situation, the the discipline situation, um, and the quarterback situation, of course. But until then, episode eighty nine, the Gumprunners podcast, Chase Thornton, Jeremy Law, Lester Mitchell, we're out of here. <laughs>